Inescapably foreign. Welcome to Without Borders. I'm your host, Nolan Yuma. As you know, if you've listened to this show before, this is the podcast for nomads, expats, immigrants, refugees, third culture kids, or anyone else that feels inescapably foreign. Today, I'm here with Daniel Thompson, the CEO of Noma Collective, a business and community that specializes in creating experiences for remote workers. We'll get more into that throughout the show. Uh, but first, Daniel, how's it going, man? Hey, what's up, Nolan? Uh, going good here. Nice and hot in Merida. It's 10 a.m. and we're hitting like 35, uh, which my math would be around 100, I guess, Fahrenheit, something like that. So, yeah, we're starting oh, yeah. good. I don't speak in Fahrenheit, so. <laughs> okay, good. I'd always kind of like throw it out there because it's like, you know, depending, 30 could be very cold if you're looking at the wrong or the different uh, measurement, right? Well, what, what are you mostly thinking? Because you were raised in the UK, the USA, and New Zealand, right? Yeah, uh, I'm definitely Celsius. Well, I've learned Fahrenheit from the time when I was in the US. I, I moved to the US when I was 15, but my dad had lived there since I was seven. So I would go for like summer holidays and like learn to surf and pretend to skateboard. I was like trying to get into that scene. You know, it's coming from London. It's like there's not much skateboarding happening. So I, I got I got on the uh, on the bandwagon a bit late. Nice. <laughs> well, is that is that where you mostly grew up in London? So my dad is a musician and he would travel for his work. And so I was lucky enough to do a lot of traveling. And he was, um, I don't know how familiar you are with the population of New Zealand, but like in the 50s, they were putting newspaper articles in, uh, in England in the major newspapers saying like, we need people with skills. My grandfather was a, a headmaster of a school. And so he kind of took up this opportunity to move to New Zealand. And they went on the boats, man, before planes. It took like nine weeks through like the Panama Canal, I think it was. And it was like, you know, they, my dad has stories of like stopping off at like Pitcan Island, which like was like just a just very, very small island in the middle of the ocean that, that they would like, you know, jump up on board and try and sell you stuff. I mean, like, you know, that was a rogue time. You think about it, like, you know, eight, nine weeks to, you know, go on a boat from, the uk to new zealand so so yeah so he grew up there but he wasn't born there and then same for me but all of his family stayed there so my dad was the only one who kind of came back out of new zealand so consequently we would go there for summers and stuff so i was always kind of like three months of the year in new zealand or, or the u.s okay and what about for the first 10 years of your life yeah, it was like, you know, schooling in the UK, but like holidays in New Zealand or the US, basically. So you and my dad was pretty chilled about like taking an extra month or whatever. So we would go for like a long period of time. We, you know, it's a long way still, even for a kid. Like, you know, you've got a 24 hour flight. So the plan is always, always go there for like two or three months. So, so got to like, I guess I was slow traveling before I even realized, like, yeah. Yeah. Now, I guess since the i mean new zealand and and the united states are different in a lot of ways but they do share some sim similarities do you well for usually for a third culture kid it's like three countries before the certain amount of age 
Uh, do you feel like you are a third culture kid in any way or like in the sense that did you have to deal with any identity issues to kind of adapt your Kiwi personality in the state or kind of adapt your state, United States personality, American personality in New Zealand? Yeah, I think in the States being English is a big thing. Like they, they love English people, the accents very different. And so I felt like proud to be English in the US. Whereas in New Zealand, it wasn't like negative or anything. It just was a little bit different. You know, they, they kind of, they're a bit more like, oh, they, you know, they'd call you pommies and like, you know, it's a little bit more like a, a, a jest. It's not as cool. You know, when I moved to the States when I was 16, it was the first time I really clocked that I went to school, you know, to high school and like everyone was just obsessed with your accent. And it was a very, that was very new to me. Like I, you know, didn't, you don't think about those things. So definitely in the, in the, in that respect, um, I always kind of felt like I, I wasn't, I don't have the association of like, I'm from the, I'm English. Like I'm from the UK we lived in a bunch of different houses so i don't have that like i have friends that have lived in the same house their whole life and they have a very like grounded thought process about what is home and i think i'm more with the risk of sounding cheesy like home is where the heart is you know in that respect like i'm i'm now at home in merida for example yeah so well let's get into that how long have you been in merida now i've been in merida eight months i came here to have my first child i'm actually a resident in belize uh where noma does a lot of of, of trips um i moved there right before covid and my wife and i decided to do a home birth and we wanted to have a hospital close because you know just in case it is like I'm, I'm all for the home birth and it was an amazing beautiful experience and i encourage everyone if they're thinking about it to at least like do your due diligence and have a look if it's right for you but at the same time my logical mind was like i don't want to be close to a hospital just in case like there you know there's i think now having done it and gone through it i would be a little bit more willing to be in nature because i understand the time frames and stuff but at the start i was like i'm, I'm cool for this but i just want the hospital close so in belize that's just not possible there's you know in belize city we could but you don't know when a baby's coming so you've got to kind of be somewhere for like three weeks to two months while you're kind of waiting, nesting. So it made sense, Merida, for a couple of reasons. For that, um, we wanted to do it with a Mayan midwife because there's a big tradition, long tradition of home births here. And I have a dog and a cat. And so it was like I could drive up the, the Yucatan like peninsula and be in Merida in 10 hours. I can go back to Belize. And so it was just like a mixture of things. I actually didn't have, we never thought we would like it so much. We just, we rented a place for like five months. We're like, oh, well, you know, we'll go back to Belize. And now we're here. We've been here eight months. We just rented for another like eight months. So it's, it's grown on us massively. Great gastronomy, like awesome city. It's really hot right now. If you if if you don't like hot, maybe come not or don't come in May, basically <laughs> or April. But uh, but it's it's really it's a really cool city. It's got a lot of culture, great architecture, old colonial style. So yeah, Merida is like I think and I think it's going to become 
more known in the next couple of years. I really think it's a great destination for nomads. Good Wi-Fi, you know, good uh, good food, good amenities. You've got a Walmart if you want, but you still feel like you're in Mexico. You know, like you've got like you feel like you're in Latin America. Sorry. So so you know, that's a it's a good mix after three years in the in the you know in the nature in Belize. Nice. So I want to know a little bit more about your story, but just since we're talking about Merida right now, is that right now, anyways, um, what are you, what do you have planned with Noma and uh, in Merida? It's a good question. I am actually going to see a house on Monday. It's 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 a really it's it's a really tough kind of uh, game that we play trying to find the right location for a Nova trip because there's a couple really important parts like you know you briefly mentioned what we do we do trips experiences we call them additions and so we do additions in different places they're kind of like co-living pop-ups uh, where we'll take around 15 to 20 people to a location and you know we we have this plug and play community and a bunch of cool activities and you can kind of you know get your work done close your laptop and get out there and discover and we kind of facilitate that streamline that process for you but the the kind of barriers that we come up against are that it's quite specific sets of things that people want for you know as a remote worker and actually often the infrastructure that's been around doesn't suit that like traditional hotels are very much just high adrs which is just like as many rooms as possible not many nice common areas you often don't have a kitchen um or you know let's say that you know they don't have the internet equipped which actually in cities is a minor one so so when looking for a place i often you, you kind of really have to dig deep so i've been looking for a while and i came across this place actually being helped by a by a real estate agent and it was if you ever come to Merida there was a lot of money here like a while ago hundreds of years ago like maybe 150 years ago and there's all these beautiful mansions that are summer kind of derelict you get this feeling of like oh man if I had some money I would come and redo one of these and make it my dream house you know you've got some that are art deco you've got some that are old colonial style but it's definitely got this vibe and so this house that we're going to look at was some like rich families like home they had like eight or seven siblings and so they built this house for their family and it's got already like enough room for this whole family to live there and they when they grew up they have turned it each room they made put it into it like a, a little kitchen and they've got basically 12 apartments with 18 bedrooms in it and it's got a giant pool it's got all these walkways it's got like rock facing like uh like um you know they, they they've 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 built the the house on like a rock face so one of the walls is like an actual it's so cool and so fingers crossed that that fills all like ticks all the boxes for noma um and and allows for the, that community space which is so important something that we do that's different to every other company is we make sure that everyone's in the same place often the other companies will do like a bunch of airbnbs around a city which is great i think it's actually easier to find that and that's why they do it but for us those ad hoc meetings in the hallway or hey i'm just gonna you know like i'm in the kitchen you want some coffee or i'm sitting by the pool that's what creates those community feelings and it's it's something that you really need to let it's you kind of need to like have the platform 
to let it happen naturally because you don't want to force it we're not like on like a gap year trip you know what i mean we don't all yeah. have to be there at 9 a.m that's not the the point of this but at the same time people want to make friends you know one of the biggest issues with remote work is is it's a bit lonely it can be a bit lonely and so you want to kind of curate those those ad hoc community feelings and moments and one thing we found is making sure everyone's in one place creates that you know you invite someone over to cook dinner everyone's doing potluck it just kind of it feels right so so yeah fingers crossed it's obvious like slow tracks me to noma as well now i'm i'm just curious what is like the price point for these mansions so that's again is like you know we're 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 fighting to change the thought process of a high season and a low season and if you look at the way that the world works traditionally is you know two to three weeks of holiday a year was what someone got and so logically you fit your entire holiday into that two to three weeks which means that you know maybe people who are running these you know houses or these mansions or these hotels have to really you know up their pricing because there's this limited period of time and now what we're seeing with what with what we do with this nomad lifestyle is that's not really the case there are some low seasons but generally the the the, the time frame in which we travel is is pretty much all year round and so trying to get it across to the owners that hey instead of just trying to go for these really high prices for a month you could do a lower price and actually just have it occupied all year round. And so the kind of younger or the more, it's like once you have someone in your family who works remote, you get it. Or if you work remote, you get it. And if you don't, you're kind of fighting it. So to go full circle about your question, the pricing varies massively. If they see that this is something that can solve their downtime, then they're willing to kind of drop it. But I mean, our trips range between two and three thousand dollars and that covers your housing your airport pickups your data loaded sims depending on the location either like you know three yoga classes or some spanish lessons or we found yoga works better in like nature and like spanish lessons better in cities you know we're very very latin based apart from belize is probably the only english-speaking country and kenya i had a question about that too yeah the packages because um I mean, I work online as well, and I saw that part of the package deals include some of the activities. Now, sometimes yeah. you pay for the activities separately, uh, but how does that work with people's schedules? Because even though people work online, you're still reliant on your specific schedule. Um, what happens if someone can't make an activity? Do they get mm-hmm. like a deduction there? Or- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great question. So the activities are actually not put during nine to five work hours. So we very much have like this, like, you know, work set up by where most people are within reason working on that time zone, roughly maybe two hours either way. And so most of the stuff is accessible for everyone. However, you know, one of our major kind of components of our business is we are super flexible. So we do kind of in-game feedback sessions. So let's say that we notice that there's no one showing up for the yoga in the first week. We'll we'll ask on Slack, like, hey, hey guys, like, hey, you know, we normally have a good uptake on this. Like, why is no one coming? And then often people will be like, well, you know, eight of the 12 people are on Eastern time zone and we can't make that time. And so we'll just change it. And we'll, we'll do a vote and we'll change it. 
but um you know now actually what we're doing in our onboarding process is getting all that information before so we can kind of build the calendar around that but yeah the only things that are happening in the daytime are kind of like you will do like an early morning yoga class and then we'll do like a four o'clock workshop maybe a four thirty five o'clock volleyball game or a football game and generally people are kind of like done by then and then and then the main trips which are usually the ones that you pay extra for it's more like the big excursions are on top of it and then the kind of yoga and the workshops and and, and that type of stuff and, and the games nights and the potlucks that are all kind of stimulated by the community manager are what are included in the in the prices it's worth mentioning that there is a full-time community manager that lives on site that's your kind of go-to over and above the hotel or the resident staff that will be there to do kind of more uh logistical or, or infrastructure stuff would you say Nova is still a good fit for uh, digital nomads to have to work at, let's say, 6 p.m. till 1 in the morning or something like that? Would that still work out? So what we found is that people are somewhat bound by their time zones. So like the Americas being one main one, Europe and Africa being the other, and then like, you know, I guess the Asia being the third. But for example, in Kenya, because our market's still mainly North America, we have fair few americans there so we just make the calendar like in kenya based around a much like later so people off we have more stuff okay. in the morning people do this so i in in answer to your question yes 100 percent. and and we 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 build you know around the majority and so there's always uh there's always ways for people to get like their their money's worth and, and be able to be involved in those things even if they do have a kind of slightly different work schedule yeah. And now I know the answer to this question because I've been on your website, but just so the listeners know, what about people who want to join in, but they're not working at that time? So you not working, it's kind of like a loaded question, right? So like if you don't have a remote work job or you're not working on a side hustle or you're not trying to like do something for like either start a business or anything like that, you can't come. You have to have something to focus on. I don't want to say you have to have a job, but you have to have something that you're focusing on that that you're going to be spending time on. And it actually, it, we didn't start like that. When we first started in Belize, we allowed people to come who didn't. And within about six weeks, we stopped it because there's just this juxtaposition between people on vacation and people working and it doesn't work. It creates FOMO for the people that are working. The people who are working are kind of like, Oh, there's nothing to do in the day, and it's kind of, it just doesn't it doesn't work. And and then what we saw, which is the the ideal situation when you when you make those changes, is it really works when everyone is on the same page because everyone's like you know, I I, I want to say it's like you know work hard, play hard, fun attitude. There's lots to do on the weekend, but we all need to get our stuff done. We've all got jobs. Like I've got a job too. We all need to kind of like make that happen. We're not here to to you know to to, to to help you lose your job if that's like a weird sentence but we don't want to be the reason why you're not being productive in fact what we see is we actually help with productivity and, and we help with you know not necessarily in your work day but the ability to travel the ability to get perspective the ability to be out and about and enjoy the world allows you to be more productive i think because you're having that respite you're not just in that rat race Definitely, man. I've I've noticed that myself traveling with other people that 
either are digital nomads or aren't, but have like some passion project. Because yeah. when you're doing the excursions, you're doing the activities with them, you're constantly making connections and you're networking, you're thinking, okay, how can I tie this into my business or how can I use this? And people are willing to jump in on that conversation and help you. But when you're with someone that's on vacation, they're like, shut up, dude, I'm on vacation. Yeah. I don't want to hear about your work. Right. And that's, that's not what you want. No. And it's not what they want. That's what I realized as well. It's like, you know, if you're on vacation, you've got two weeks. The last thing you want to do is talk about work. And I respect that too. You want to be at the bar. You want to be floating up to the bar for your next margarita. And, and it's, so it makes sense that, that there's a separation there. Yeah. Here, now just to tie this a little bit into your experiences, um, on, on my last episode with Coco Huffs, she's a um, business consultant and cultural consultant. And well, I have a passion for cultural psychology. So we got really into Aaron Mayer's uh, eight scales, uh, the culture map. And then we were talking about um, some of some researchers related to that. And I was just curious for you as someone, you know, raised in the UK, US, New Zealand, and then now doing business in Latin America, also doing some business in, in Africa and in um Asia, where there are so many cultural differences, what have been some of your struggles? Uh, what have been some of the things you've kind of had to adapt to a business style or negotiation style? One has to understand the culture to do business there. And I think a large part of that is the language. I mean, I speak fluent Spanish. I was lucky enough to jump in when I moved there, I moved to Argentina in 2012. I ended up spending, well, I mean, I basically have been in Latin America since then. Um, and I, like, time is an interesting concept in general. But when you look at the way we think about time and the way that Latin America thinks about time down to the actual words used, we use spend, they use paths. I think that's really interesting because the way in which they think about time is it, it passes you by, whereas we're like spending it like it's going away, which I thought was really fascinating when I learned that. But it even filters into business because like you, I, 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 we were joking before we got the podcast, like I'm always early and it's just something I can't like get out of. And, and actually in a lot of respects, you're like laughed at. Because you're like, why are you there? You know, like when I said nine, I really, you know, I mean, 930, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think that's an interesting one. Um, I think you have to look at the history of a country and look at their economy to understand. Like I was always, and I, I think most doing business in Kenya, I've really, I've been, I have a friend there. She lives there. She's like a Cameroonian descent has lived there for some time. She's a, born in Pittsburgh and really like, I deal with her and her team. So I can't pretend like I properly know what it's like doing business in, in Africa. And I think it's similar in, in, in Asia, but in Latin America and in Argentina, like I have a lot of experience and, and in Argentina, the fascinating part of it is they've struggled with like hyperinflation for many years. They have a real problem with their economy and that affects the way that they do business and in in the same breath it makes it one of the best places in the world it's also its biggest problem when you go to buenos aires you get this liberating feeling of like everyone's living in the now there's not this like oh i you know when can i see you you're like oh yeah my calendar like you know may 22nd no it's like what are you doing 
now. And no. and then like people are like, oh, I'll go do a barbecue at like midnight. No problem. Now, and and I had this like epiphany one day and I was like, you can't live in the future when you don't know if your money is going to be worth anything or your business is going to be existing or anything, right? So you have to live in the now because it's like, well, I don't know what's going to happen next week. So I'm going to live in the now. And so that's the plus of it. But then the negative is like, you're, I'm, you know, something like Noma, like my big visions of Noma to have, you know, villages that are, you know, around the world that share like an ethos, you know, schooling is something I want to get into. I'm, I'm, I have a child and I, I said like, he's young and I don't know, like four and a half months and I'm still navigating that path as a nomad. And so like, you know, you, I think in long, long term processes and understandings and visions and like, it's impossible to do that in Argentina. They don't want to do that because it's like, you can't, it's like you yeah. make a plan for two, three, four years down the line and you get some, let's say you get some investment from, from in dollars and you change it into pesos. You know, every year your investment double, like, yeah, it's double the amount of money you need to pay back. And so the way in which they do business is very much like smash and grab. Like how much money can I get now? Yeah. Because that's it. And so, I mean, I don't like, I guess it's true, man. And it's, it's also like for, with the research where they look at whether you're um, looking at events or whether you're looking at specific times, right? In Latin America, it's more about like the events throughout the day, which means that they're a lot more flexible. But a lot of time, I think from, if you come from a country that is, isn't uh, very flexible in time, you kind of think, oh, they're tardy. But it also just means that they're more flexible with their time as, as you're describing, because you kind of just need to roll with the constant punches in those exactly. cultures. Now, um, just you brought up this idea of time moving through you, or can you say that again? Because it made me think of something else, but can you just repeat it? So, pasar is the verb. Yeah. And it's time passes you by, I guess, is like the way. And, and like when I know it's like the way they sit on the stoop at the end of the day, there's this like you're watching the day go by. There's very much more of this like time is this thing. It's not like you're sp- spending it it's like it's kind of there like and it's it's just kind of moving yeah and i i again i you know it's just a uh like a something that i i I found fascinating with the the different verbs that are used in the two languages i i got a question for you um and any linguists on the show i'd be curious to know the answer if this does relate to, to spanish as well because even in English, people have a different time perception here. Uh, this is from an ASAP science video. Uh, but the question is, Wednesday's noon meeting has been moved forward by two hours. What time do you think that is? By two hours moved forward? Yeah, I'll, I'll say it again. So it's Wednesday's... like 10 a.m. So you think 10 a.m.? Yeah. Right? So half people think 10 a.m., half people, half the people think 2 p.m. Even yeah, in English, I mean, you have this different for sure. idea if you're moving, if you yourself are moving through time or yeah. if time is coming to you, like this feeling like yeah. you're moving towards the event or the event is coming to you. And apparently there's like personality differences there. And I wonder if Spanish speakers just have a completely different sense there. I've tested it out with Definitely. some students and it seems kind of 50-50 as well. Um, but that's an in, like an in English learning environment, so I don't know. 
That's right. fascinating. Yeah, I like that. Um, I, I have no doubt that it's it's probably not just Spanish and English as well, because time's a pretty tricky concept. It's not. I mean, I'm I'm I constantly like just think about allotments of time, like an hour, and they are not the same. Like the hour waiting for the flight and the hour with my mates drinking a beer are not oh. the same hour. They're not. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm convinced they're not. The hour when I was seven years old is different to the hour now as well, by just by the amount of hours that you have under your belt. But yeah, yeah. it's a fascinating concept that I think we kind of just make up to try and keep some order in a very chaotic world, I would say. For sure. Um, now, another one dealing with the cultural differences um, is like this idea of having a task-based society or a relationship-based society. Now, the United States, often an outlier, very task-based, right? Like, yeah, you do relationship-building activities, but really when you have a meeting, it's expected that you get to the point right away. If you meet someone for the first time, like let's say you have to meet a new client over dinner, you're going to be talking business over dinner. That's kind of what's expected. But then in Latin America or in the Arabic world, even more so, you don't talk about mm -hmm. business first. You got to build that relationship. Now, New Zealand kind of seems like it's in the middle. Like New Zealand isn't super task-based, isn't re super relationship-based, kind of in the middle. Is that true from your experience? And how are you adapting to that in Latin America? Or how have you adapted to that in Latin America? I feel like I'm a person who enjoys speaking with people. I love community. I mean, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. But so I always like to get to the kind of the core of someone's like personality and talk about it. Because I think also, I mean, if you look at psychology, you could learn a lot about the way they do business by understanding them as a person. And I think that that's why in those other cultures, there's like, it's not like they're like, no, 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 don't talk about business. Personality and personal stuff is completely leaking through into business even though we want to pretend like it's not so really what they're doing is understanding are you the person that i want to do business with which is it's i think it's still connected it's just that yeah. we just kind of go you know we're very much uh, like very much just like get to the point which i think that i i am also that but i i see merits on both sides and and with regards to new zealand man i was most of my time there has been, I've actually done no business there. So, I mean, they're very relaxed people. It's very much like a small town. I feel like New Zealand is a small town. I've and I'll probably get a lot of chastised for that. But, um, but like it is, it's far away and you've got that. Be and because of that, it's less, there's less travel. You maybe go to Australia, but it, so you get this like small town vibe as a country. That's what I felt. But lovely yeah. people. I mean, like, you know, great meat great scenery so a lot, a lot to do there for sure it's just just far away yeah um so yeah well what i what actually brought you to noma collective because uh, first of all you worked in the the music industry right especially the dubstep realm i did my first foray into the music industry was a weekly night in a club called the end with my partner who is also involved in noma and we ended up being kind of one of the biggest is a huge club like a thousand person cap and i had done like maybe a couple of we were doing a monthly 300 cap night 
and this opportunity for a weekly event came up and I met my partner and we were like, let's just roll the dice. And it was amazing experience. We learned so much. I mean, made loads of money, lost loads of money. We had like a 60K uh, lineup and it snowed in London and like no one turned up. The buses were stopped. Obviously the artists turned up to get paid, of course. And uh, <laughs> like it was just like one of those like roller coaster. I mean, I was 19. It was from 19 to like 22. My sister... Uh, was was kind of involved in the scene as well. And so this was like early days. This was before Skrillex or anything like that. So this is like kind of more when dubstep was a dub, you know, dub orientated, like a two-step kind of baseline mix versus like what is more, it's now turned into this like noise that it wasn't as much. If you go backwards, it was, it's, it's evolved massively as a genre. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember those were my rave days. <laughs> now I don't rave, but <laughs> uh, which I was going to ask you a little bit about because obviously we've talked a little bit about cultural differences here, but uh, sometimes there are subcultures in different countries. And at times, if you're part of that subculture, you might have way more in common with someone from a country you've never been to just because they belong to that subculture. And I think rave culture is about it relates to that too. I talk about it uh, with Nick Sinat on one of my episodes and uh, he's helping organize uh, Burning Man as well. And he's he's gone to a lot of festivals. He's gone to a lot of raves. And we're kind of talking about like how homogenous is the rave culture. And I was wondering what you think about that. Do you feel like the way that people rave is different around the world or is it pretty... Uh, homogenous physically at least it is like i mean in the uk everyone has their hands up throwing guns in the air like this always and in latin america they do not do that they're like this that was the first thing i noticed when i went there i was like no one's got their hands up what's going on this is like a, a like a small thing that was is very obvious to me um I think the the similarities are around, I mean, oddly enough, that community that we built is what, when I look back on my journey to Noma, was the first communities that we, that we, that we built. Like, people are all are looking for something, right? Like, when they want to join a community outside of the, like, family community or maybe the religious community that they're born into like oh if you don't if you're not talking about those that you're kind of grandfathered into through birth you know when you're trying to join a community you're looking for something you're looking for some sort of connection with someone and so when i look back on the journey it's like we basically started creating community for people to escape their work life you know because that's what people do when they rave they rave away the week right you know they want to get away from it and so you offer that safe space for them to meet vibe but it's just one night and then we started doing festivals. So it was like, oh, it's just a weekend. And then we started doing like week-long festivals. It's like, oh, and, and then now we're doing three weeks. And essentially, I'm like slowly just taking people away from the rat race. Being like, come on, guys, you could do it. Because, I mean, I know that it's not for everyone, this lifestyle. But I think that like my biggest job in the next three or four years is to take away the gray areas and streamline this onboarding process for people to start this lifestyle because i think what stopped you before was that age old like you're going to keep your job or you're going to go traveling there's going to be a gap in your cv don't do it like you know what i mean and now that's not the case which is such a beautiful transition it's like that because 
I understand why people didn't do it like me. Like I left with a couple grand in my pocket. Like I don't care about my CV. I want to learn a language. I'm going to go figure it out. And for me, I have this thing in my brain, which is like a what if trigger. And I, and once it's there, I have to do it because if not, I'll spend the rest of my life going, what if I did do it? So I just have to do it. So I go do it. And then I'm like, if worst case, I just come back. That's how I look at it. And, and, yeah. but I understand that that people aren't as adventurous or, and have different fears or, or things they've gone through or or maybe they, you know, they do just what they know. They're on a career path and they want to keep that. And all of those are super relevant and so, and, and, and okay. And so like when you look at where we are now, that main barrier is taken away. And really what we're dealing with now is like fears, unknown, and maybe, you know, a little bit of worry about talking to your boss or like, how, you know how do I start I think often people just don't know where to start and so I think you know we have a core product which is kind of for people who are already on this journey and what I'm working on now is two products either side so one is this onboarding uh program which is called the Noma Academy it's about to launch in the next couple of weeks and it's essentially a one-week crash course on how to become a digital nomad from just how to get a digital how to get a remote work job to how to like finesse your remote work team or, you know, try and convince your lead, your line manager to take your team partly remote to, to starting up a side hustle, to having a full online business that allows you to be an entrepreneur and remote work to like finessing your remote work lifestyle, getting second passports, taxes and all of that. And like having that, that idea of how to get from A to Z and and in in that week, you'll have all of these workshops and all these conversations, and in, and then and then essentially, uh, the idea is is to kind of get people to at least have the path in front of them to then to then be able to come onto the core product, which is the trips, the additions, and then the kind of other side of that is you know, we have an entire generation of people who are about to well in the next ten years probably meet someone, fall in love, and have a child maybe, and start that next generation, and what happens then? Do they all just go back to the old life? I don't think so. I think some may may do, but I think a lot are going like myself. How do I combine this lifestyle that I've come to love that has so many pluses with this child and this family that I've got going on? And so we're launching Nova Family, our first trips in July, and it's essentially a a summer camp overlay on our existing edition. So any families out there thinking, hey, I don't know what to do. This is a way to dip your toes into it and come for a month. We've got like daycare and activities and everything for the kids. We're trying to make it holistic. So if you've got, you know, hours off, come and join us. And then, you know, there's stuff for the adults to do as well. And there'll be sleepovers for the kids while the adults have a little party. And it's this, this like, often there's these little switches now like innovation isn't necessarily this new idea it's just like maybe bringing two things together that you thought weren't there like the lady i'm working with with the noma family her name's georgia shout out georgia she's an amazing lady she's working on these schools in in england that are a large house there's maybe eight kids and their whole thing is there's a co-working on site so instead of dropping your kids off and then them having this separate life and you going somewhere else, you work from the school. And just that simple click is, for me, was just mind-blowing. It's like, that's so awesome. You get to have these ad hoc experiences with your kids. 
you get to have lunch with them. If you have a break, you can go and give them a hug. And it's not that mind-blowing in the sense of what they're doing. They just put a co-working and a school together. But fuck, that's really awesome, man. That's like yeah, a man, that's amazing thing. And that just, for, for me, was like, that's what we're in right now. We need to just, like, we've separated our lives because we had to. And now it's maybe this, like, looking at the lifestyle of your kids, you, and your work, and kind of, like, bringing them together. And and and, and I think what you're going to get out of it is more productivity, more happiness, and, and maybe some perspective, which I think, you know, just to, I know I'm on a rant here, but, like, the perspective side of things, we're so deeply in need of that in this world right now. Like we're living in this like polarized, like political place and all of this, like you're either here or you're here and this is the way to do it. And, and when you travel, you get the realization that there's like a million ways to do it. And I think that allows you to be like, oh, like, maybe the other way they do it is okay too. And I shouldn't be so dogmatic about my approach. So I'm Mark hoping- Mark Twain says something like that. Travel is fatal to prejudice or something like that. I was looking at quotes recently because in the previous podcast, it was more about like language and accents and they were wanting us to read stuff out. And I came across that and I thought, wow, that's pretty, he was pretty ahead of his time there. In that. Oh yeah, that he was like the genius. All, all the stuff he says is brilliant. I was listening to another podcast and they were saying they credited him as like semi the first stand up because he would get up and read his stuff and he was really funny. This is before like, you know, stand ups are pretty relatively new phenomenon, like as, a, as an art form, you know, it was very like, you know, people would read jokes that were like, you know, two people walk into a bar, but you wouldn't get like that, like, you know, yeah. telling stories and that. So that's just fascinating. Anyway, he's a, I mean, fascinating person. Something else I want to get into is because, well, we've already been talking a lot about the things that make Noma stand out from some of the other organizations that I think try and promote some sort of nomad lifestyle. But I think it's important to distinguish between travel that is good and travel that doesn't benefit people, right? Because a lot of people have this oh, Instagram, man, like people just want to get their shots in these places. And they're like, I'm a digital nomad, but you're hopping to a different location every week or even every two weeks, right? And that's not benefiting you and that's not benefiting the country. Um, and that's something what I really like about Noma is that you think a lot about slow travel. So talking about quotes, uh, uh, Pico Iyer has this quote, in an age of acceleration, going at human speed suddenly begins to look uh, like sanity and freedom. And that's great. I, like I think that. that quote relates to a lot of what you're doing. Um, so when it comes to slow travel, part of it is just taking your time to get to know the culture. Uh, part of it could also just be slowing down on a more sustainable aspect, right? Instead of hopping on plane to plane, you might want to take a train, do uh, like a bike excursion or something like that. But I think with Noma, it really seems like a lot about taking your time in the place forming deep connections, getting to understand the culture. Um, but a lot of people do complain about digital nomads in the sense that like Western nomads wreaking the benefits of living in a cheap country while driving up the prices and then paying their taxes elsewhere, right? 
Um, so what are some of the things you're kind of doing at Noma to uh, kind of counter this and support mm-hmm. the local economies? I'm really happy you brought that up because it's going to, it's already a thing, but it's, it's not that much of a thing. I think there's like a tipping point in certain locations like Mexico city and Lisbon, I think are at the, the, the kind of extreme end because there is like at the start when there's been no tourism and this money comes, it's really beneficial. And so I think like the way we're looking at it, cause we generally go to more nascent locations like we started in belize so by nature that's kind of our niche is we kind of do the less worn path there are some we do that are not like that like bali and 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 um i guess buenos aires maybe would be another one but um we're really uh passionate about the social impact programs that we're running we have uh i got a grant from uh ocm on chain monkey they are a nft company in the crypto space they set up a dao which is a decentralized autonomous organization which they are using as a fund to uh essentially give grants for social impact programs around the world it's super great what they're doing um we were able to get a grant for around five thousand dollars in ETH, and with that we are doing a uh, a year of social impact in Sainbite, which is the local community near our hotel uh, in Belize. We're doing one uh, day a week of activities where we turn up in like a park and we lay down and we can bring some fruits and some veggies and some snacks and water. We bring like ball games and bats for the older kids. And then we have a bunch of painting and arts and crafts that we do with the younger kids. Um, and then we're also doing one beach cleanup a month uh, as well. And that's really just dipping our toes in because one of the things that we've realized is you kind of need to get to know the community to understand what they want. Like we don't want to come in as like a white savior. We know your problems will solve them. So uh, this is like a, this is stage two because we were doing it ad hoc before we got the grant and now we're going to go for larger grants where we were actually able to essentially set up a mentorship program. And, and, and the reason why we want to do that is because there's this massive throttling of information in the digital nomad space and and what i mean by that is you have these highly skilled intelligent people coming to countries where the people have a bunch of raw talent and don't have the infrastructure and education and essentially they come they don't impart any of that knowledge and i'm talking generalistic i'm sure there are many people that do but just like if we if we're looking at it in a bigger picture they come they don't deliver that knowledge then they leave and so just a simple kind of structure by where we set up these people with a platform to do a workshop or a talk and if they feel like they're getting something from that then essentially we want to add them to this mentorship program on one side and then on the other side we have these kids and the kids that are the most um you know involved and we see them progressing and then you know, the idea is is that like let's say one kid want, wants to learn how to do photography and we have someone in our community who's a photographer that we can kind of put them together and then ultimately my dream would be that some of these kids get to go to new york and do an internship or something like that so that's what we're working on now but it's it's really tough man i mean the reality with that type of stuff is you need a lot of money to do it like you need someone who's a full-time role i mean like we're doing it on you know really small amounts of money and so like it's it's been tough but it's it's a process you know you need to get you need a proof concept 
proof of concept and then from there there's a lot of grants you can apply for and in fact actually being as it's easter weekend after this my 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 job is because we don't have much i don't have any emails coming in as i'm writing a grant right now for this exact uh purpose uh, and um and yeah the plan is to then replicate that model across all of the other locations so that we can yeah so that we can kind of not just inject some money but actually like hopefully like make long-term like change in in these in these towns that we're that we're working in perfect yeah i I love how there's a focus on education there not just like building something and then fucking off and then just leaving it there right like actually fostering these relationships education wise um now just with the activities um are the activities usually just with a central core of the nomads or are there a lot of like the local people involved as well and um like Great, great question. Yeah, so the nomads come. So when when we have nomads on site, they come and they impart like you know whatever they want. They just will just play or whatever. But but we I have a couple people that live there full time, and and so they're there doing it every week for me. Shout out to Michelle. She's a saint. She's also looking after all my plants while I'm in while I'm in Mexico. So um, she goes every week, and then there'll be anything from five to forty kids there. So it's like it changes massively and it's wild they are wild they they have very little education but in the best way like the energy you get is just hype and they love to play sports like me personally because i've a been able to connect with them via sports that's how i do it but it but she's she's a painter michelle so she's connecting painting which is great um you know they some of these kids don't have shoes, you know, that's where we're at. Like, you know, and, and, and one of the things that the reason why we're doing activities that are very like informal is because we started doing stuff a little bit more like uh, we would do how to write a CV or something like that. And it, it's just lost. It just was, you know, you're not there yet. Like, you know, I had two and I've talked about this on a couple other podcasts, but it, they were they did two points that changed my life living in Belize in terms of my perspective of where they're at. And what we, where we need to start to get involved. I was in the line to use an ATM. And this kid was like in there for a while, young kid, maybe 18, 19. And kept looking at me. And I'm, initially I was like, what the hell's going on? This kid's like shady. I didn't clock, you know, you don't know in those moments. And then he comes out and he's like, I don't know how to use it. Can you help me? I need to get $178 out. And I was like, at that moment, they're, they're like, so many things went through my head okay so he's never used an atm he doesn't know how to use one not, not only that he doesn't even have the concept that you can't take out multi- anything less than multiples of 20 for example and that just for me was like wow like that's where we're at right now those are the barriers we're trying to so i helped the kid and told him that he could get 160 and he had to go get the rest out from the bank and i was like wow that was just a that was a, a moment for me to realize where we're at and then the other one was I was at this uh, Airbnb with a pool, kind of like a, more like a bread, bed and breakfast and a little restaurant stuff. And they had this really beautiful pool. And this young girl and her mother came in and she's like, it's my birthday. I'm coming to the pool. And I was like, oh, great. And I'm just sitting around the pool, right? And then she just like walks into the pool and just, she's only like this high. And so she just walk, she's never been into a pool. She just walked in, like started drowning herself. She had no concept of like anything. She just walked into the pool. And it was like, yeah, it was a water. And I was like, and we got around, she was fine. But it was just like, oh, wow, like that's what we're dealing with here. And this is also a country that's on the water, right? So you're like, there's so many things that you go, okay, like 
I came in with like how to do your CV and like, no, we need to pull it right back. It's like, we need to know like how to write and read and how to, you know, basic things, how to use things like ATMs or how to, you know, how to swim. Definitely. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's great. Now, another thing too, though, is learning from the locals. Cause obviously there are things that the locals can learn from you guys, right? It think beneficial that way. But as you mentioned, you don't want to be that white savior. And a lot of the time, the locals have a lot to teach, teach you guys mm-hmm. or teach us, right? Yes. Yes. Um, so I was wondering what, what are some of the things that you have learned from the locals from some of your experiences or just some of the other people that have Oh yeah, experienced Nola? Slow the fuck down. That's what I learned. Slow down, especially in Belize. Because Belize is like island time. And like, I think, again, it like just to kind of go back to what we were talking about before about perspective. Like each country gives you something unique. So Belize gave me the time, like all the all the slowing down, like the maybe maybe like in Argentina gave me the live in the now, but but it all comes back to perspective. I think like you know you can learn different ways to cook, you can learn like different ways of living in terms of what you're what you're eating, what you're putting into your body. That's a massive one. I mean, what I learned, you know, since I've been away from the processed world you know i'm so aware of what i eat now you know and you just you don't realize you know that the rat race me oh i have to quick i have to grab grab a quick sandwich i don't have time to to eat you know like that's not good for so many reasons uh you know not not to mention eating on the go just for your digestive system isn't good but like even down to the ingredients so like you know Belize, like Argentina, got me into just good meat and just cooking slow meat uh, for long Best periods of time. In the world, man. I mean, I'm obsessed. I'm like, I cook asados like, I mean, three times a week probably. Like, I, <laughs> and I, 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 I'm on the far end of the spectrum. But um, you know, Belize taught me fruit, man. Like papayas and mangoes and like uh, pineapples and all of that. Like, you know, that's just I didn't have that, and so like. I think there is a, with all this technology and all this advancement, we've kind of lost our core a little bit. We've lost the, these simpler things that we forget, like, and, 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 the, and I think it almost goes to that quote you were talking about, about coming back to human pace. So we've lost that We're we're flicking and scrolling We're you know, we're not there. We're not actually there ever. And and I'm guilty of it. You know, you're running a business. You're always thinking about the future. And so I think like, you know, eating a meal and not looking at your phone, spending hours not looking at your phone. Belize is like 100% for that. Like they don't like, it's just that that culture's not there. You're out on the, on the, on the stoop. You're on the beach. You're walking, you know, playing volleyball or whatever that, that, I think that it's 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 a lot about reconnecting with what it is to be a human and I think that's like something that you can get from from those developing nations as well as I mean I know we'll just say it again but food man I mean food's different in every place and that's amazing um you know I learned I learned how to throw a fishing net like things like that that I've never clocked before that are so awesome and really great you know so one thing I'm wondering here with the fast pace and everything and the slowing down, and it's something that I try and promote with my podcast. I mean, I try and promote with my writing at www.withoutborders.fyi. Um, and I know it's something that you promote as well. 
But both of us, we have to promote. So we're on social media, right? And like on social media, you always got to create fast, quick clickbait clips. And it's driving me nuts, man. Like I notice it's not good for my mental health at all. No. Um, and obviously it's a big part of being a digital nomad because you got to promote yourself on this fucking social media. Uh, so I was wondering, uh, is there anything that Noma does to kind of counter this in a way? To me, it seems like you can counter it just by developing these deep relationships, right? Instead of spending two hours on social media, you spend time with the people you're like, you're in that giant mansion, you're all yeah. together. So instead of yeah. fostering relationships online, you're fostering relationships in yeah. person. Yeah. I mean, we definitely do that, but I would say that like the, there is a place for the short content. I, I'm not like an extremist where I'm like, we need to go back to the old school. I think there's a place for it. And it, and it's the hook. Like if you're talking yeah. about it in, in song format, it's like, it grabs you. Right. And like, but then you need to like slide into the verse as quick as possible. And so I was actually having a conversation with my, my marketing manager yeah, with my marketing manager about like wanting to move away from like just doing that short content because we've got like, we just finished the Kenya trip and like it was that and the Buenos Aires trip. We just did the thing, the two best trips we've ever done. And like, we've got 15 people that are all about to go together on another trip that they just want us to do for them in, in, in Brazil and Argentina. But like they, you know, they they went through this like crazy uh, transformate transformative experience where they went to shamans and 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 it was pretty amazing. And we have all of this like testimonial content, and we were talking about what we we're gonna do, and we're gonna do like a twenty minute video. I think is what we're gonna do. And so I I think that you can get a snippet of what we do, but as soon as possible, I want to start to get people to like watch a mini film or something like that about because really that's how you get the nitty gritty it's like the same reason why i like long form podcasts because what you can get in five minutes is not the bigger picture you can't these hard topics you know you can't like get to the bottom of them in 10 minutes so i think that as a marketing tool it's it's necessary you can't like it's it's part of the matrix so you if you're in it you've got to do it but i think that the ways in which you can do it within your marketing kind of platforms is is not just be there but be in other places as well do these type of podcasts for me personally i posted on instagram like the last time maybe like seven eight months ago in fact i, I need to post about my little baby lucci i've got all these photos i haven't done it i'm just like kind of there and so for me starting to do these podcasts and starting to do linkedin has been like a bit of like a, i'm pretty anti-social media myself i not because i I don't really care about it. I'm not the person who takes the photo in the moment. I'm the person living in the moment. I've always been that person. And lucky enough, there's people who are the other person to take photos of me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have any, wouldn't have any physical <laughs> memories. So I guess it's like, it's a bit of both. But I think that picking and choosing your ways in which you deliver your content, I think is the way you, you kind of work on that while still having to be in the digital space. And then, yeah, I mean, it's kind of annoying and I'm trying to do as much as I can to, to break this cycle. But like even in investment and in, you know, in, in the SaaS world, it's all and all of the digital nomad products, they're all digital and that's fine. But we're all still here in this world. Like we're all still here like when there's not that much happening for that. And it's actually hard to get funding or harder because you don't it's it's harder to scale in the physical world. But it's what we need. 
we need this physical contact. We're pack animals. We do not want to be on our own. And that's something that we all knew after three months of COVID. Like, yo, this is fucking me up. Like, we need human contact. Like, you go crazy. I was so lucky to be in Belize in a bubble. We were living in the hotel. We had like six or seven friends. It was amazing. We were really lucky. Like, I can't imagine what it was like. I had friends in Buenos Aires that were like in small apartments on their own. And I mean, I don't want to get too much into that. But like, I think we look back on that. That was probably a mistake, I would say. Like, I don't think that the, the pros outweighed the cons, in my opinion, especially when you look at the mental health. That is really really detrimental i think to you know the the years lost for education those kids that are in the three to four area that didn't get that language learning that had the masks over the face and they couldn't read the lips like i mean you we, we will see later from the data how bad that was for the learning of those those kids in those moments so so yeah i i think that continually fostering that physical space where people can connect as humans is undervalued and i'm trying my best to kind of be like hey guys like yeah it's great all this digital connection but like let's use all of that to then meet in the physical space i love that man and we're up at an hour here and i think that's a perfect place to end it because that's uh, something that's really attracted me to noma is that you're fostering something for digital nomads for people that want to work remotely but at the same time kind of going against this accelerating pace. And it's about using the tools we have, using the technology we have. Sometimes it's just slow down and foster those human connections because a lot of this technology we have kind of breaks that. But I love your project. And uh, well, as soon as I'm in a financial position, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to join, man. Is this right now? I'm spending everything I have on this project. So all I can afford is couch surfing in a Ryanair flight. (laughs) <laughs> but as soon as I can afford more than that, uh, I'm joining you guys in, in one of your excursions because I love it. I love what you're doing. That's awesome, bro. You're more than welcome. And and I, I, on my parting kind of, my parting speech is, you know, if you're there and you're trying to figure it out, don't know what to do and you have questions, reach out. Like our sales team, me, the community managers, the alumni we all have different perspectives to help you on your journey and get out there. Cause I think that's the biggest challenge we have in the next five years is most people can do this. They just don't know they can do it. And so it's like, yeah, it's amazing to, to help facilitate the existing nomads, but they, they're, they're there already. And so it's like for anyone who wants to come join and wants to try it out, you know, don't need to change your life. It's just one month. You can come and, and enjoy it you know, while you continue to do your job. So, um, you know, feel free to reach out, uh, Daniel at noma-collective.com. Also, you can message us at info at, uh, you know, the website is uh, www.noma-collective.com. And I'll put Noma- all the links in the description. Yeah. So oh, it, no matter what platform you guys are listening on right now, if it, you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening to it on Spotify, iTunes, whatever it is, All the links will be in the description. So I highly recommend checking out Noma Collective. And again, if you want to support this show so I can can join in with Noma Collective, www.withoutborders.fyi. There's a new episode every Tuesday. Tune in next time. Peace.